every day on the big show. What? Gordon and what? Jake want to keep you up to date on all the action, all the newsmakers, and all the big opinions on the Zone Sports Network. This is What's Going On on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 12. It is zone time for What's Going On, brought to you today by our friends at S&S Roofing. S&S Roofing is your locally owned roof repair experts. For a free quote and all of your roofing needs, call S&S Roofing. All right, Gordon, ready to check in with the other shows? Let's do that. Let's start things off with DJ and PK. They had uh, a Joe Ingalls show this morning. You know, every once in a while, Joe checks in in the offseason. He's down in Vegas playing with the Boomers. Feeling good. Probably in pretty good mood after uh, beating Team USA. Well, let's give you a few minutes of uh, the Joe Ingles show this morning. So when you guys get together as a national team, it seems like your team in particular and probably a lot of the national teams, they're able to, at least to a, to a degree, pick up where you left off. But the Americans don't have that. How important is the fact that there's a lot of uh, consistency in your national team from competition to competition? Oh, I mean, it's it's extremely important. I think um, obviously the tough part for probably America, probably being the only one really, is the the amount of players they can choose from. Um, we obviously still have a. I think a pretty broad and, and big group of, of guys that we can choose from. Um, but obviously America's is always going to be every NBA American, every NBA player, which is, is a lot of players around the world. So um, yeah, we've, we've been together a long time. We've actually got, I think seven guys that are going to their first Olympics. So it's a, it is a bit of a new team for us. We've got Matisse Seibel who has never played with us before. He's never Never, I think he knew like two or three of us before we, he came into camp. Like he really didn't know anyone. Um, we've actually got a new coaching staff this year, um, a, a complete new coaching staff. Everybody's um, uh, different. I think maybe one guy's the same. So um, it, it's been different for us this year, actually. Um, probably the most in in kind of the recent history. So um, we have played together a bit. Um, our coach was our coach 13 years ago, um, which is different. Um, but yeah, just just having a, a group of guys that have been there together. Like I started playing with, with Paddy when we were 15, so we're still playing together now. So it, it, that just kind of shows the consistency we've had with our group, and um, it definitely helps us. And um, for us, and, and there's a lot of other countries as well, as obviously use it as an advantage. We, we're a few steps ahead of, of knowing how each other play and what we want to do off the ball and stuff like that. So it's definitely a bit of an advantage, but um, obviously USA and there's, there's other countries too. R- regardless of who's out there, it's still a, a very talented team. So for people who don't know the storyline, and you kind of referenced it when you were on with us last time, so I read up on it since then, Australia has finished fourth four times, the best country that's never medaled, 0-8 with the semifinals and then the third-place game when you had a chance to lock up a medal. So when you tell us if you get COVID, you can't go to the games now, with this storyline and with you being so invested in the national team going to your fourth Olympics, 
I'm thinking you're way more locked in on this than most jazz fans realize. Yeah, I, I really am. Um, and when I say we can't really leave those tail, like I literally haven't left my room. <laughs> um, I've walked downstairs to, to grab some coffees and stuff like that. But um, again, like I said, I, I understand regardless there, there's risk involved. That's just the way it is. Um, it's the way it was in the NBA season. Um, we made the decision during that time that, that our kids were going to be at school. Obviously, I, I knew the risk involved with those type of things. But um, like I said, just doing everything possible uh, away from, from those little risks to, to, to not um, kind of get myself in trouble. So um, wearing our masks still um, on the buses and stuff like that and to and from the games or, or whatever it is. Um, but like you said at the, the start, I, I've put too much time and effort into this to to not have or give myself and my team and my country and my, my family and my, my kids a chance to, to for me to, to, to bring this medal home. Um, me, my, well, Patty and I, 12, 13 years ago when we first started, um, kind of started... Um, putting the time in, I guess, to, to build this to where we, we thought it could get to. Um, and like I said, we had one NBA player. It was a lot tougher for us. We, we were we were still a good team, but it was a scrappy fight to, to win a game, to win every game. Um, and we finished, I think we finished seventh or eighth for a, a few years there. And we've built this thing to, to what it is now. And, and being, I think we're ranked third or something in the world um, but like you said never being out of medal um, and we've put so much time and effort into this and been so invested it's why we've played every off season for 12 years now um, and we've got it kind of the flip side of our team when we first started it's a bunch of NBA players now and, and a couple NBL players and a couple guys in Europe so um, all of our guys understand that all of our guys understand um what we believe in our team and what we can do when we get to Tokyo. Um, and, and a part of that is, is like I said, just just deleting as many of those risks as possible. Um, again, obviously, we understand that regardless, there, there's some things that go on. But, um, yeah, just trying to limit them so that we're, we're as healthy as possible going into to Tokyo here. We, we leave in four or five days now, I think. So we, we're kind of at the the final stretch to get there. So just being smart, the last few days to get there and, and then lock back in again when, when we get over there and, and figure out the rules and what we're in for over there. All right, there you go. Joe Ingles, Joe Ingles show this morning with DJ and PK. You can get that in podcast form. If you want to hear the rest, wherever you get your podcasts, but you know, like hearing why it means so much to them and the, the ins and outs and, uh, you, you don't agree, Gordon? I think Australia would be a pretty easy team to root for in the Olympics. I didn't say I disagreed. With you that. you had an undying loyalty to Team USA. No, you called me no, an American. No, I, I no, I, <laughs> I said that if I had said what you said about the Boomers, you would have called me an American. At no point did I call you an American. Several times, as I recall. It's it's interesting to hear Joe talk about it because you can tell how much he cares and the care factor is high. And, uh, yeah, he's put a lot of time and effort into it. And when you do that, usually the care factor is quite high. And I, oh, I, I don't know how that works. Just... Is he being remunerated in one way or another? Are those guys getting anything out of this? 
Uh, I can't imagine it's all that much. Because if it's for national pride, if it's playing for your country, then good on them, man. They're, they're working hard to represent well. And, yeah, I'd say that team is fairly easy to root for. Patty Mills it turns into a different player on the international <laughs> stage. That guy is yeah. a playmaker yeah. for the Boomers. And yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch them make a run. You can uh, tell how much getting a medal, uh, medal means to Joe Ingles in particular and talked about how they've played every offseason for the last 12 years, which I don't know if that's entirely true, but uh, they've played together <laughs> a lot. And Joe hasn't had a lot of uh, full off-seasons in NBA basketball, but uh, yet is one of the, if not the, most durable player in the league. So maybe all that stuff about uh, international play be leading to injuries is incorrect. Well, it depends on the player. Joe's not exactly a vertical player. And He's I, still I, out I don't there know, playing I don't basketball. Know, I don't know if anybody's done a study on this, but if you're more a horizontal player versus a vertical player, are you more likely to preserve your your uh, your health? I don't know. Gordon. What does the logic tell you? I just know that we hear all the time that, oh, how can these guys even possibly expect to stay healthy when they're playing over the summer? Well, when you spend a lot of time in the air, you know, coming down on a traffic, a lot of feet, a lot of stuff going on there. And so you're probably more likely to get to get hurt, I imagine. Although, you know, I've never really seen any real statistics on that, but it seems to make sense. Didn't people say that about people like, well, Stockton was not much of a vertical player, and so, and 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 shooters who are more kind of, just sort of, don't soar toward the basket. I'd I'd be interested in knowing what is. The most often, what play is most often causes injuries? Uh, the chop block. And and I bet the guys who do stay on the ground more get injured less. That would make sense to me. The high low in the NFL. So Joe, Joe would probably be, uh, you know, a decently safe bet. Um, Hanson Scotty had Bob Beeler on. Uh, covers uh, Boise State and the Mountain West Conference. Let's. Uh, uh, he's a play-by-play guy for Boise State. Thank you, Eric. Uh, and uh, he came on with Hanson Scotty to talk a little Mountain West and Bronco football. So the Boise State Broncos, uh, a team that's certainly uh, with a new head coaching staff. And by the way, if you see Frank Miley, give him a big hug because he's one of my favorite yeah. people on the planet uh, now on that coaching staff up there. Uh, but with that said, this is a team that from a coaching turnover, but every time it seems like there's a new head coach at Boise State, their first year, they end up going to, you know, a BCS game or a high-level success right out of the gate. Do you anticipate that with Andy Avalos? Yeah, why not? I mean, you mentioned uh, Coach Pete in his first season. Brian Harson in his first season both went to Fiesta Bowls. Uh, no pressure, Andy Avalos, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're expecting it. No, but I think a lot of it is because they've stayed in the same tree where people have coached for the person. And I don't mean exactly like, the, the year before, because Harson went away for a couple years, came back. Avalos went away for a couple years, came back. Peterson elevated. He was on Hawkins' staff. But I think that the people they've picked have understood what wins here at Boise State and, and what the culture is like. And I think that they've done a nice job. And as somebody that's been here now, this will be my 14th season. I think the thing that has impressed me the most, or one of the things that impressed me the most about Boise State, is they haven't hired that clinker. 
I mean, you look at, at Alabama, a Mike Dubose or a Mike Shula. I mean, there were some lean years for those guys at Alabama. Jerry Faust at Notre Dame. So, I mean, when you look at the winningest programs in college football, uh, it isn't easy to just keep turning out, you know, contending teams for conference championships, 10-win seasons, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I commend Boise State for what they've done, and I, I think they've made made a good hire in Avalos. Loved him when he was here. I think he's he's going to be great here. And, I, and you mentioned Frank Miley. I think, you know, he's done a great job picking assistants too, which I, I think assistants a lot of times don't get enough credit, you know, when, when things are going well because, you know, there are, what, nine or ten other guys besides the head coach out there that are helping making things go. So, Bob, I was looking at this BYU schedule, and, you know, those five games that they play before they see Boise State are, are very difficult. Arizona State, Utah's in there, South Florida. Uh, they've even got to go to Logan, uh, and they have to play Utah State there at Merlin Olson Field. be very difficult before they come out to Boise or Boise comes to them. How does Boise how – does, how do the Broncos and the Bronco fans perceive that BYU game? Do they look at that as a, a rivalry, as a, a, a bigger, more notable game? Because I sure feel like it's become more of a rivalry for BYU on, on this side of things. And I, I think so, too, for Boise State. And I also think the thing that makes a rivalry is when both teams win. I think if one team wins all the games, I don't think it's as much of a rivalry. But, you know, BYU's got the last two. So I, I think that, you know, when, when somebody beats you a time or two, I think you get circled a little more. So I, I think that, you know, you look at some of the games, and we've talked before about the, um, you know, the excitement and the finishes, and, you know, the, BYU wins on a Hail Mary, Boise State wins, you know, with the sack down inside the five-yard line. So, I mean, there have been memorable games in addition to both teams winning, and I think that stokes the rivalry because you know it becomes an important game now you were talking about BYU start Boise State has three really tough games before they face BYU on October 9th they've got UCF to open and then they have Oklahoma State on September 18th at home and then they have Nevada who I think may be the most talented team in the Mountain West this year the week before facing BYU so both teams are going to be severely tested in my opinion before that October 9th game Bob Beeler, the voice of the Boise State Broncos, joining us right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network as we continue to get you ready for the start of the college football season. Uh, on average, uh, this defense gave up 27 points a game. Um, it's very un-Boise State-like. Uh, what issues are there to be addressed, and have they been addressed with that defense? Well, I think a lot of it last year was weird because people were out. Boise yeah. State had an awful lot of injuries in the defensive line. And, you know, where people either miss games for COVID or, you know, Dimitri Washington, who arguably was like a preseason all-conference player, um, was injured in game two. He played against Utah State, didn't play the rest of the season. Uh, You know, I think that, you know, Boise State defensively maybe didn't play as well as they, you know, have in the past. But I think that a lot of it was due to what was or wasn't out there on the field. Um, their, their numbers, I think, were skewed. When you only play seven games, whatever happens badly for a defense um, gets accentuated. And the, the BYU game with Wilson, those numbers really you know, took its toll when you only play seven games. And then in the last game of the season in the conference playoffs, 
They lost to San Jose State in a game in which the Spartans put some points up on the board. So I, I think looking at it, I think in a seven-game season, the, the numbers have a way of getting stretched. Uh, I really like what they have back if that defensive line is healthy. I think the defensive line is going to be really good. Uh, nine starters back on defense. Uh, the only two that are not back are the two corners. They were both all-league players, and they decided to leave. Uh, uh, Williams was a draft pick for the for the Falcons. Uh, safeties are all back. Linebackers back. So uh, you know, I think this is going to be an experienced defense that I think will will certainly exceed you know 27 points a game and uh, 373 yards of total you know total defense giving up. Although I don't think holding people under 400, I don't think it's terrible. So I, I think the points is probably more of a problem than the, than the actual yards that they gave up in, in the in the in the thing. They were actually pretty good in the red zone too defensively, but uh, you know, not the, the numbers at BYU really hurt. All right, there you go. Uh, talking a little Boise State Broncos football with Bob Beeler, voice of uh, Boise State, and new coach. For Boise, but that hasn't really been a problem for the last little while. No, it just seems like have been pretty good. <laughs> They've been able to sustain the success of the program, even though some of those coaches have gone on to not see the success. See Dan Hawkins. Yeah, exactly. So I I think what Boise State has done over the past 20, 25 years is, is darn near miraculous. Well, they're the favorite in that league every year, that's for well, sure. Well, I mean, they, that, how'd they do that? Have you been to Boise State? Uh, I haven't, but I mean they've they've found a recipe. I mean it, it probably doesn't hurt that they can get anyone into school there. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a good. That's kind of nice. <laughs> but Boise State has been good for for a real long time now, and uh, but it was interesting hearing him talk about the rivalry with BYU, saying, "Well, you know, BYU once won the last two games, you know, <laughs> like." Like uh, BYU is some new up-and-coming program or something. Of course, the Cougars uh, started the, uh, I guess you could say they started the more modern rise in the mountain area uh, under Lavelle Edwards back in the day. And then and Boise State came after that. And Boise State uh, really sort of started to progress upward, I think just a scotch before Utah did, right? I think it was pretty. Was it p- parallel? Yeah, I think it was pretty parallel. But both of those programs have gotten so much better uh, over that period of time. But anyway, Boise State that deserves a lot of respect, as far as I know, unless they're cheating or something. I don't, I don't have any evidence of that. I wish they'd get a new field. I hate that field. The blue field is dumb. I don't like it. It's dumb. I don't like and it. And I know they have this weird pride about it, but but guess what? It's dumb. It. I agree. All right, stay 100%. tuned. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau had some interesting things to say after his round today at the Open Championship. We'll talk about that next on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is The Big Show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson, presented by Big O Tires, with the lowest price on every tire every day, with no credit needed financing options available. Big O Tires, the team you trust. It's 
Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Thanks for making us part of your day. Gordon, uh, we're going to talk a little golf here for a second. We'll uh, we'll talk more golf at 4.30 with our friend Bob Casper from Real Golf Radio. We'll talk to him about uh, what's going on at the Open Championship. But uh, this news comes from after a round of the Open Championship <laughs> from Bryson DeChambeau. And no, this has nothing to do with his rivalry with Brooks Kepka. But Bryson had uh, he had a little trouble hitting the fairway. <laughs> yes, he did. He hit only four of fourteen fairways in the first round, and he shot a one over seventy-one, which puts him uh, seven strokes back from the leader. Still time. So Bryson, of course, is uh, is trying to hit the ball further than anybody else ever. <laughs> I mean, he added about three hundred pounds uh, during COVID, and now is just this keeping monster of a man and he does who, uh, swing awfully hard who just goes out there and swings out of his shoes um well his uh, the the sponsor his club sponsor is cobra okay yes and uh so he was grumpy about not hitting the fairways let's hear uh, what he said about that all right if i can hit it down the middle of the fairway that's great but again with the driver right now the driver sucks it's uh not a good face for me and we're still trying to figure out how to make it uh, good on the miss hits and uh, you know I'm living on the razor's edge like I've told people for a long time and you know when I did get it outside of the fairway uh, like in the first cut and whatnot I catch jumpers uh, out of there and I couldn't control my wedges so it's quite finicky for me because it's uh, a golf course that's that's pretty short and so when I hit driver up there and it doesn't necessarily go in the fairway it's right in the first cut or whatever or it's in, in the uh, uh, hay it's tough for me to get it out onto the green and control that uh, but when it's in the middle of the fairway, like I had it on 18, I was able to hit a nice shot in there to 11 feet and almost made birdie. If I can hit it down the middle of the fairway, that's great. But again, I love that. And almost made birdie. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, got it within 11 feet. Almost made birdie. You know, as he was speaking there, Jake, I was thinking about what you said earlier in the show about how you don't blame your equipment. And he went immediately to that card. The driver sucks. That's what he said. And I thought when I when I first listened to that, I thought at that point, well, he's just talking about him hitting his drives, right. right? You know, like I couldn't hit the driver today, right? The driver sucked. But then he goes into specifics about why the equipment is <laughs> not working for him. All right, saying they're still they're still trying to refine it. Well, uh, let's see. David Dusek at golf week at golf week uh, caught up with uh, Ben Showman who's Cobra's tour operations head, and actually was Phil and caddy for DeChambeau in Detroit a few weeks ago. Remember uh-huh. when he fired his caddy on, yeah. like, the day the tournament was starting? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had this to say about everything, and, and he goes on for a minute, so bear with me here, all right? Okay. He says, everybody is bending over backwards. We've got multiple guys in R&D who are caddying, which is the computer program, right? Catting uh, this and catting that, trying to get this and that into the pipeline faster. Bryson knows it. It's just really, really painful when he says something that stupid. He has <laughs> never really been happy ever. Like, it's very rare when he's happy. Now he's in a place where he's swinging a five-degree driver with 200 RPM of ball speed. Everyone, Everybody is looking for a magic bullet. Well, the magic bullet becomes harder and harder to find the faster you swing and the lower your loft gets. He goes on. He says, it's like an eight-year-old that gets mad at you. 
they might fly off the handle and say, I hate you. But then you go, whoa, no, you don't. We know as adults they really don't mean that. And I know that if I got him cornered right now and said, what the hell did you say that for? <laughs> he would say that he was mad. He really didn't mean to say it that harshly. He knows how much everyone bends over backwards for him. But it's still not cool, unquote. Yeah, unhappy with the blaming of the driver. It's weird how what Bryson does is does the are all his clubs the the shafts are the same length or something? Uh, I don't know. That could I thought, be true. I thought I'm I read sure. that somewhere that, that he's 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 done some really different things with his equipment, and it seems like the margin for error is quite slim. I just think that I just think that. Um, hmm. People think that life is a reality show, right? So, so you know, that going up on a, a podium in front of the world and blasting your sponsor and somebody you have a relationship <laughs> with, it's just like watching the real world on MTV. And it's almost <laughs> this big, like, ha, 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 Bryson. But can you imagine if you're uh, if you're the Schumann guy from Cobra? And, and, and you just, you just you're doing for... everything you can to get this equipment just right. He's super for high a, maintenance. For a moving target. Yeah, and he keeps changing and coming back, and this sucks and that sucks, and you're just bending over backwards because th this is an important relationship to you because he's a high-profile player who happens to hit the ball further than anybody else, and he's using your equipment. So they, I'm sure they do everything they possibly could to satisfy this particular guy and to have him at, at a major nonetheless. This isn't the, you know, Bob for Apples Open in uh, in Muncie, Indiana. This is the this is the Open Championship and he goes on and just trashes his equipment and partner. What a <laughs> what a interesting move for somebody, right? <laughs> Can you imagine if you were that Cobra guy? You'd be like, "I am going to strangle that man." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a difficult thing because this way I view it, and I don't know, I've never gone into the lab to work with these guys, but it seems like the, these people who manufacture these clubs, yeah, they manufacture clubs for the public, and they sell them, and they make money off of that. But with these pros, there's so much tinkering going on that it it may not matter what your equipment it, is. It doesn't. You're totally right about that. It it totally doesn't. You can't buy a five degree dry, loft driver <laughs> at Uwina Golf. Our good friends at Uwina Golf can find you pretty much whatever you need, but I don't know if they could find you a five degree loft driver because they don't make them. And that's what this guy is saying. He's saying it's really hard to hit the perfect shot with five <laughs> degrees of loft and uh, that swing speed. So we're trying to make you the club that will give you the forgiveness and everything you're looking for. But you know what? It probably doesn't exist. It says here his irons start with a couple of Cobra King 1 length utility irons. Uh, so I, I do think they are unlike anybody else's clubs. Um, all of his irons are 7 iron length. To ensure he swings uh, the same with every club, and they're fitted with extremely thick Jumbo Max grips, the largest grips commercially available. He's doing different stuff, and he plays differently. But when his approach to the game 
doesn't work out, uh, does he? Let me say, ask it this way: Does he compliment the Cobra driver when he wins? I doubt it. <laughs> that's that's when he gets the 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 acclaim. He gets the praise for playing well. And when he doesn't play up to where he wants to be playing, it's the equipment's fault. I just check me if I'm wrong. I've heard this story before. I've heard it from darn near every golfer I've ever played with. I've heard it from you. You have? What did I say? I don't blame the clubs. Well, when did I blame my clubs? When All I, I said uh, What did I say? Oh, this is a new driver. Get out of here. I never said that. Driver. This is a new driver. Only thing I've said is that my irons are like 35 years old. I believe, old. actually, the last, maybe the last time we played, maybe a couple times ago, I think you, you were going through a swing change, and I think that was your go-to excuse that day. <laughs> was I? <laughs> okay, but it's, I mean, okay, I come up with excuses. I'm going to blame my equipment. I just love this part of the quote where the Schumann guy says, it's just really, really painful when he says something that stupid. <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome all right stay tuned we'll have a market update for you coming up next uh sam amick uh joins us at the top of the four o'clock hour bob casper at 4 30 ben anderson at five busy day on the big show 97.5 and 1280 the zone This is The Big Show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson, presented by Big O Tires, with the lowest price on every tire every day, with no credit needed financing options available. Big O Tires, the team you trust. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome on back. Time for a market update brought to you by our friends at TridayTrading.com. Now anyone can be a day trader. Visit TridayTrading.com. How did the markets do today? Well, Jake, there was a, there was an up, and then there was a couple of downs. Okay. The Dow was up uh, nearly 54 points. The NASDAQ was down 101, nearly 102. And the S&P was off 14.27. So, there you have it. Okay. Mixed. So so good to hear. <laughs> Usually, sometimes you throw in a little analysis today, just this the straight numbers. Yeah, there you go. Know. What's going on out there? Why is it happening that way? Are you really interested? No, I'm not. Let me uh, let me give you some further information here. Uh, apparently, the tech stocks were down today. Okay, all right. So there's your analysis and explanation. <laughs> From the one and only Gordon Monson. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're the next Larry Kudlow. Who's that? I don't know. I think he's a financial guy, isn't he? Uh, I don't know. I don't know him. Who was the guy that was on, on CNN for so long? The Mad Money guy? No, what's his name? I don't know. I get them all mixed up. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. Larry Kudlow was the, the TV financial guy that Trump hired to uh, be the director of National Economic Council. Who, who was the mad money guy? I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know either. Obviously, I don't watch enough business cable news. Jim Cramer? That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Cramer. Jim Cramer. There you go. Yeah. 
All right, so uh, so there are your markets. Um, Sam Amick is uh, is going to jo- uh, join the show coming up uh, right around the corner. So we'll ask him his thoughts on uh, what's going on in the in the finals. It's now best of three. Phoenix, Milwaukee, back to Phoenix. What did you think when you saw Devin Booker commit his sixth foul and not get the call, not not get it called against him? What, what, what went through your mind, Jake? Typical. I mean, that was that was worse than normal. Well, I just I don't like. It, it's just uh, let me put it this way: you and I both, I think, are are actually of like mind on this. Like, if it's a foul in the first quarter, it's a foul in the fourth. And you if know, it's a foul committed by LeBron, or if it's a foul committed by it's a foul Sunday out of games. Your it's a your foul. your job as a referee is not to insert your personal opinion into exactly. the game. It's to referee as evenly as you possibly can, uh, realizing a fact that you are still a human and cannot, of course, uh, call the perfect game. But at no point should a player's status cross your mind when refereeing the game. Couldn't agree more, and in a situation like that, what was there, just over a minute left in that game, everybody's watching, everybody knows that uh, Devin Booker has five fouls, everybody is watching as he commits a foul, and the Bucks were okay because they, uh, the pass or the foul, whatever, the ball went back to another Bucks player who scored, so it didn't cost them on that possession. But everything that Devin Booker did after that point, he shouldn't have been on the floor. And everyone could see it. So it really underscores this idea that dude over there swallowed his whistle and uh, it bastardizes the integrity of the game. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. They should, they should try to be as impartial and not part of the game as possible, you know. From that standpoint, where you completely that completely alters everything to your point, but it happens all the time. And I, I agree with what you said earlier, Jake. That it's one thing people get mad at referees for missing calls sometimes uh, because they don't have lasers for eyes. They're human beings; they're going to make mistakes. But there is no way that anybody could watch that with the ref standing right there and not realize that a foul was committed, including the referee. Yeah. And that, that's what bothers me most is this whole star system and your situational calls. Ridiculous. A foul is a foul is a foul, just as you said, Jake. I couldn't agree more. And it, when the refs don't do that, it, it impugns the, the, uh, the integrity of an entire league. And you would think that the message would get sent to guys, hey, look, don't do that because it turns – our league into the WWE. Well, and then it encourages behavior that you see with the flopping and guys like James Harden because they know that they're going to get the call and it's strategically advantageous for for them to do that. And James Harden knows he's going to get the quote-unquote star treatment, so he plays into it, and it's a big part of his game, and I think it's dumb. You know, you know what uh, cliche I hate the most? He hasn't earned that call. <laughs> What is that supposed to mean? I don't know. And, and by the way, even if he has, quote unquote, earned that call, why do the best players need an extra advantage? What sense does that make? Exactly. But I hate, I cringe every time I hear, oh, he hasn't earned that call. <laughs> I mean, we hear about Donovan on. Mitchell all the time, right? Well, he, you know, he needs to earn uh, that whistle or, or the opportunity to get the benefit of the doubt or whatever. And it's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Exactly.
Exactly. And the irony to what we're talking about here is we're complaining about an official who refused to blow his whistle in that circumstance against that player. And then what happens is the Suns are a bunch of crybabies. After every call that goes against them or every call they don't get, Devin Booker starts whining. Chris Paul does it. What is wrong with you guys? I I hate it. That's been Chris Paul's entire career. That's well, Most, he's had an influence on Devin Booker because he whines about it a lot, well, too. don't you remember the Clippers when he was there? Or the yeah. Rockets when he was there? Sure. I mean, you know, it was the the uh, what are they, the perfect storm with the Clippers because Doc Rivers is also the, the – he enjoys uh, complaining about calls maybe more than any other coach in the league. And it's just it, – I, I just don't like it. I, I really don't. It's not part of the game. Refs and bad refs, for that matter, are part of the game. Yeah. Suck it up yeah. and move on to the next one. And, and, look, as much as I complain about a missed call or star system or judgment that I think is awry, uh, I, I, I just – this happens um, not infrequently. And I think it's more often because referees are human. But I learned my lesson a long time ago, Jake, and story time here. Oh, boy. Uh, when I was playing in a rec league once, oh. uh, early in my days, I I got thrown out of a game because the referees were so bad that I saw bad calls on both sides. And I got so angry at the ref, he threw me out, and I – I left that gym that night, and I said, that will never happen again. That will never happen again. And it didn't. And it's a matter of centering yourself. As a, In the case of an NBA player, you, you, there are going to be missed calls. You get that. But don't whine about it all the time, because all that does is make you look bad. Well, and it, it, it impacts um, your team. I, I've, I've said this about Rudy Gobert, so I don't feel bad reiterating it, but he doesn't get back when he's complaining. At least yeah. not in, you know, Rudy is so good at running the floor when he wants to. Uh-huh. You, when he really runs the floor, it makes a huge difference. You can see it immediately because his teammates are good. I mean, if, if Rudy wants to get more buckets, that's a way Rudy can get buckets, by hustling. And on defense, it's critical because the Jazz are, are vulnerable uh, against teams that are really good in transition. But when Rudy runs... It makes a huge difference. And Rune, when Rudy complains, he's not running. He's not running. I, I, and it backfires. Ultimately, it, it doesn't work to your advantage. I mean, I know it that, does, though. Uh, that's the problem. Well, it does. Oh, because well, that's, that's why Chris Paul does it. That's why James Harden does it. That's why they star, all do it. It's because it works. If, but it's, I've always admired the player. I know guys are getting fouled and not getting a whistle. I know that happens. But I respect the guys who play on and play through it. And when they do complain, you know something weird happened. And it increases their credibility. And if you're complaining about every call, all you do is you tick off the referees and you make yourself look silly. And if it works, uh, it's unfortunate if it does. Uh, Squeaky wheel getting the grease? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it works or they wouldn't do it. I I think it goes beyond that, though. I, I don't think it's purposeful always. I think it's a matter of throwing a tantrum. Stay tuned. We've got Sam Amick coming up right around the corner. It is the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.